0: The author of the book, Win the Day, Mark Batterson, was recounting a story as he was pursuing something that he thought that he wanted to do. Have you ever found yourself in that that place where you're like, I have been dreaming of doing this for a long time, and now that I'm here, I'm not so sure. He brought his teenage son with him to go paragliding in Peru. And as he was there looking at the 10,000 foot drop, his nerves kind of began to rise up in him and ask the question, do I want to do this? The 20 minute informational session about how to paraglide really didn't set him, his nerves at ease too much since it was in Spanish. And when you think of strapping yourself to a glorified kite and jumping off of a cliff, you can begin to question your sanity and the safety of what you're going to do. And so he did, you know, what a good dad would do. He's like, well, son, you go first. <laughs> you know, send your child off the cliff first. And his son runs and, and goes. And so Mark is tied into his, his, his paragliding, the, the, the kite. He's tied into it and he has a four foot 10 Peruvian teenager telling him, It's gonna be okay. You just have to run really fast. And when we get to the, close to the edge of the cliff, you have to jump. You have to jump. If you don't jump, it will be bad. You have to jump. And there's gotta be that, that, that point in the running towards the cliff where you realize, Okay, I am at a threshold where either I need to lay down and let my face drag against the ground and grab onto every root and rock with all of my might, or I need to get ready to just jump as hard as I can. And I think that that moment comes in a lot of different ways. It comes in relationships sometimes where you recognize like, this is the time where I either need to propose or I need to to get out. Or maybe in a career where you understand, okay, I either need to make a jump to a new job, or I'm going to be here for life, or I need to start this business endeavor, or I, I've got I've to get onto some other path. There's that, that threshold where you recognize if I don't make the jump now and make the jump in a strong way, I'm going to end up on my face. So as Mark approached the 10,000-foot Drop, he made the jump. The wind took the sail, they went up into the sky. He says he only vomited seven times, which is unfortunate for the poor Peruvian boy who was attached to him because the way aerodynamics worked, it was just all over him. It's funny how there's things that it's like, I really want to do this, but I have so much fear about taking that step, making that jump, fully committing to getting into it. And we know from a thousand different experiences that a halfway commitment leads onto a full wreck. It's like, we have to be in on the things that we're in on. And when it comes to our relationship with God, it's gotta be the same way. There's so many people that were in the crowds that Jesus taught, but they never became followers. Their heart never committed to God. And being in proximity isn't enough. It's like, we've gotta make a jump. And, and, and today, we're gonna be studying the from the gospel of mark chapter 4 verses 35 through 41 if you have your bible with you you can open up gospel of mark chapter 4 verses 35 through 41 i'm going to be reading from the new international version today and we'll put this up on the screen as i read it starting in verse 35 jesus had been teaching that day and he was teaching i'm going to give you a little more context he was teaching Um, by the Sea of Galilee, and a crowd had gathered to where he had gotten into a boat, and he taught them parables. And then as that was wrapping up, we we pick up in verse 35, where it says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, in verse 36, it describes what he was doing, and it says, leaving the crowd behind, which is great advice for so many of you in what you're going through in your life. If you would just leave the crowd behind, you would be better off. If you left the crowd of social media who's continuing to try to paint a picture for you of what your life should look like, if you just removed some voices that were unnecessary from your life, you would be so much better off. But this is one of those circumstances that happened quite a few times through the Gospels where Jesus would be teaching and he would gather a large crowd. There's times where he would feed the crowd and they would have huge numbers where he would do miracles and people would come from all around to see Jesus' teaching and these crowds would gather and Jesus would always welcome all of the crowd to come and listen but he would always invite, he would always give the crowd an opportunity to come in closer. He would invite people to be followers, not just members of the crowd. But more often than not, the higher percentage was people who would come and they would listen to Jesus teach and they would say, that was interesting, that was captivating, but I need to go, you know, I have an appointment at three o'clock, I got to pick up my kids after that, I got to make dinner, and then after that, I've only got like time to watch one or two or seven shows on Netflix before I pass out, and then I go back through my normal rotation of life. Jesus, I appreciate the invitation I appreciate the fact that you're calling us inward, but there's other things that I need to get to. And this was just a common thing with the crowd. Huge crowds would come, but very few people would become followers. And so it still happens today. And there's so many times, and, and you could probably tell me stories of times where you knew God was speaking into your life. It's like the way that circumstances happened, the way that you got into a church, and the way that the message just connected into where you were. It's like you knew at that time God was speaking into your life, or a grandparent, or a coworker, They had they had something that they shared with you, and you're like, man, I just know that God is trying to get my attention. But I am just so busy right now. God, I will circle back around to you later. And it feels like we didn't really make a decision, but I want to tell you, when you sense God pulling you inward, and you say, maybe later, God, you have made a decision. Inaction is action. Choosing to stay where you are and push back against the drawing of God it is a choice that you make. An indecision is a decision. And this is the first thing that I want to put on the screen and I want you to focus on today. That the times that you've heard God, and even if maybe God is speaking to you in a special way today, when you choose to just stay stagnant and you choose not to respond to him, you've made a decision. And often we fool ourselves into thinking, oh, I didn't, I didn't tell him no. But if you didn't tell him yes, It's a decision that you made. And time after time, these crowds would gather around Jesus, but very few of them would commit to follow him. And they would just go back to their standard. And even as we get into this passage, man, there's some really cool truths in this passage that that I I think can often get missed. But I want to clarify that what we see in this passage is the people of the crowd they went back to their comfy homes and their normal lives and the people who were followers and wanted to become followers, they got into a boat and they followed Jesus out towards the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And there is this false notion That when you say yes to God, that when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, when you choose out of your own heart and your mind to follow the teachings of Jesus, that suddenly things are just going to be easy and favorable. The favor of God is just going to pour on you. You're going to have more money than you could spend. Your kids are going to become these kids who are perfectly behaved, who always say yes sir, no ma'am, always make their bed in the morning and fold their clothes and put it away. Like Life is just going to become perfect if you just say yes to following God. God is going to save you from all the storms and difficulties. But pay attention in this passage. The crowd who went back home, they're at home in their beds. And then what happens to the people who followed Jesus out to the other side? What happened to the disciples? It says in verse 36, leaving the crowd behind, they took him, they took Jesus along just as he was in the boat. It's like we're not going to get supplies. We're not going to get snacks for the boat ride. We're not going to go get anything. We're just going to go right now. And that's the way that Jesus called them to do it. He's like, let's go, let's get going. And just as he was in the boat, there were also other boats that were following him along. And then verse 37, it says, a furious squall came up. Now squall is not a term that we use too often, but in this time, the better term would be cyclone or hurricane for what we're familiar with with storms. The way that storms would come down, it wasn't that there's just one strong wind going in one direction, is that it was rain and wind that continually changed directions and it would be comparable to what we would classify as a a level three hurricane. And the Sea of Galilee was at a lower elevation. It was about 200 feet below sea level and it was surrounded by mountains. And so these storms would come in from the mountain and and head downward and it would just create this funnel of force. And so the storm descended on them suddenly and not only is it Rain and wind, but it says that the boat was nearly swamped. The boat was taking on water. So let's just for a minute recognize what they received. The ones who said, Yes, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to come with you across, then they're out at sea in the middle of the night, in the middle of a hurricane, while the boat is sinking, and here Jesus is in the back of the boat taking a nap. And the people who didn't follow are at home in their beds. And it's a very simple theological truth that you will find throughout the course of Scripture is that those who follow God often get led through a storm. Jesus was like, let's leave right now. Do you recognize that Jesus knew that that storm would be there? Jesus led them into a storm. Being a follower of Jesus says, if I'm with you, that's gonna be enough, even if it means that my surroundings are difficult. My circumstances are challenging. It doesn't mean that things are always going to be easy. I, you know, if you've been part of the ride here at Gulfside since before we started, then you know we planned to launch. And we picked our launch date like a year and a half ahead of time, and we picked the weekend after Hurricane Irma. I have the last surviving yard sign from Gulfside Church launching September 17th, 2017, in my garage because the rest of our yard signs blew away in the storm. Not good for advertising. And there's a question that comes up when you get in the middle of a storm, when your plans get derailed, there's things that come up in your mind that say, God, am I outside of your will? Why is a storm happening when a church launch is supposed to be happening? How much better of a thing could we be trying to do than launch a new church? And there's a hurricane a year and a half ago, God, we told you this was when we were going to launch it. Why would you let this hurricane just a little shift? Just give it to Miami. Mess up Miami instead. That's not a good way to pray, but I'm gonna tell you, like, I know when your plans get derailed and you feel like I've been doing what you want me to do, God, there's this sense of, did I get it wrong? And sometimes the truth is, God is just like, I'm gonna take you through a storm so that you understand who I am to a deeper level. So that so that it matures your faith in a way that sunny days and flat seas never could. In a way that the people who were from the crowd at the teaching, as they went back to their home and you went out for me, they're not going to understand it because they haven't walked through it and they haven't felt and seen the power that I will put on display in the life of those who follow me. Culturally, as the early church would be reading this gospel of Mark, they were already using the illustration which ties back to Noah. When you think of the story of Noah and the flood and, and, and the surviving people who were there in the boat, they used this illustration that the church was like a boat, that they were in together and that the seas would be rough, the culture would attack it, that, that they described Satan as the prince of the power of the air, that the storms would come and try to sink them. But as long as Jesus was with them, they could get through any storm. And this was a common illustration that they would use. And there's the, and so within the, this writing of the Gospel of Mark, there's this truth that Jesus is in the boat with them the whole time. Jesus could have stopped the storm before it got there. He could have stopped the storm when it was there, but they hadn't even asked yet. He, he, when you think of the anxiety that they were feeling, because they literally, these experienced sailors, were like, Jesus, don't you even care that we're going to drown? And he's asleep, they're waking him up. Their peace versus his peace were completely different. He's taken a nap, which theologically apply that to your life. If Jesus took naps and we want to be like Jesus, then we should take naps too. But even in our most anxious point, Jesus still has peace because he is Lord of Lord, King of Kings, and he has all authority. And when all we see is the wind and the rain and the difficulty, it's easy to lose our peace but it's easy to say, you know, I know Jesus is close, but I haven't called on his name yet in the middle of my storm. It's interesting that he waited until they called out to him. It's interesting because so many of us, it's like, we know Jesus is in our life, but when is the last time that you really just shut the door to your room and on your own, you called out on the name of Jesus and you prayed from your heart to him. When was the last time that you really called on Jesus if you're in the middle of a storm? And it's great that you came to church and that we sing together and we pray together and we study the word together and that's great. But there's something different about you on your own seeking after God in prayer. But you might say, but I don't know really how to pray, Paul. Like the words don't come together well and my sin feels like it's just two steps behind me and it's too close for me to really talk to God. Did you recognize how imperfect their prayer was? I actually think it's so beautiful. I am so thankful to God that he included these details in Scripture about how imperfect of a prayer that Jesus answered in this. Because the way that they spoke to Jesus was, don't you even care that we're going to drown? How more messed up of a prayer could you verbalize than that? God, what is wrong with you? Don't you see my situation? I mean, that's how they, if my kid asked me for anything with that kind of attitude, I would give them a loving slap to the butt. Like, we're going to fix that attitude. Like, I want to give you good things, but you got to ask right. But God is so gracious that, that he sees to the heart, even when our words aren't right, he sees our need and wants to make himself known as a perfect and loving heavenly father. And so when you feel like, man, I... I know that I should talk to God about this, but I can't get the right words together. Who cares if you have the right words together? The right heart is saying, I know, I know I need to talk to my dad about this. I need to talk to my heavenly father. I know that he has the power to get me out of this mess that I've created. God loves an imperfect prayer. So I want to push on your excuses to not be talking to him personally are dwindling down to none. He loves you so much. He wants to show his power at work in your life so much, but there's something about the character and the person of God that he says, I wait for you to ask and then I will act. Even if you ask in an imperfect way. There's so many people who were in the crowd, who stayed home that day, who missed out on the lesson of the boat. And man, I understand it's like, it would be a scary lesson to learn. But then the, the question becomes, what is our life supposed to look like? Is our life just supposed to look easy all the time? And when I ask that from the pulpit at church, we know the answer is no, not no, but my heart says, yes, I would like it to be easy all the time. And so when we begin to grab a hold of that mindset, I believe that it pushes us further and further away from the will of God because he continues to call his people to go out into difficult situations. We are called to bring the gospel to our neighbor. And I understand you might not like your neighbor at all. They still might have Christmas decorations up and they're not early birds. They've been there all year. You might have had conflict in the past. They may have knocked your trash cans over and not picked them up. Like whatever your excuse, I understand there's difficulty, but God calls you to love your neighbor despite how your neighbor acts. God calls you to be light to them, to bring the gospel to them, not just to your neighbor, but to your city not just to our city but to our region and not just to our region, to the ends of the earth we are called to go and that means that we're gonna endure difficulty to do the things that God has asked us to do and I believe that that needs to become just par for the course. That needs to become the expectation that you know what? What God calls me ahead to to in life, what he calls me out towards is he calls me away from the shore. You know, just like a boat, my boat is safest if I keep it tied up at the dock. It's not going to sink. It's going to be safe. Things will be fine there. It's going it's, it's to be there for years and years if I just leave it tied up there. But that's not what it was made for. And You might be safe and you might be comfortable if you just stay inside of your bubble with your people, the ones that you get along with easily, who look like you, act like you, live like you. Your life might be easier that way, but that's not what your life was meant to be. That's not who you're called to be, and that's not what the church is called to be in the city. We're called to be a church that goes. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost, and so we have to be a people who seeks after our city. If you want to compare it to to ships the way that I'd say it is, a ship in harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. We are built to go and take risks and to make a difference, and all of that happens in a way that might feel like it puts us at risk. It might put us in a situation where we look at God and say, God, this feels so challenging, this feels so difficult right now. Do you even care? And what I found time and time again is that when my heart cries out to God, he answers in a way that helps me sense, okay, you do care, and you are here. And maybe you called me through this storm, but I know that in time, you will calm it. The expectation matters, church. Because it's a powerful thing when you can recognize I am in the middle of a storm right now, but I am standing right where God wants me to be. This time is difficult, but I'm built for times such as this. For each of the followers on the boat that day, their response after they asked him if he even cared, their response was, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. It actually says right before that, that they were terrified. They, were ter- they, they looked at Jesus as he stood up from his nap and he spoke and he calmed the wind and he the, calmed the waves. They responded with terror. The, the apostle John is a great example of this. He was, he was one who referred to himself in John as the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's a great title to give yourself. He reclined on Jesus' back at meals. I mean, like they were close, as close as another person who lived with Jesus could possibly be to him. But when he had a a vision in the book of Revelations of the glorified Jesus in heaven, it said that when he saw him, he was so terrified by the majesty and the power and the glory of Jesus that he, the one who said, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who would rest his head on Jesus' chest at a meal, he dropped to the floor as a dead man, is what Revelation said because he was so overwhelmed with the majesty and the power and the glory of Jesus. There's this truth, the closer you get to Christ, the more you are moved by how powerful he is, how loving he is. And as you understand that better and better, I think it enables you to take bigger and bigger risks for the kingdom of God because you just recognize each time I jump, he's going to catch me. Each time I take that step, even though it feels like I'm stepping into a storm, I know that it's going to be all right. I want to begin to wrap it up, and if you guys will make your way up. I want to compare it to this. In 1854, Elisha Otis had an invention that he had made. And he was having problems selling it. It was actually a break for elevators. Because in New York City at the time, there was only five buildings that had more than five stories on it because no one wanted to walk more than five stories and no one really trusted elevators that much with their life because it was all held by a cable. And if that cable fell, no one really enjoyed that six-story drop down to the bottom. And so they weren't really building skyscrapers at the time. And Elisha Otis had a solution to that. He had an idea for an elevator break that that would trigger if the cable ever broke. But people didn't trust it. People weren't buying it. And so at the 1854 World Fair, he set up the frame of an elevator shaft, put an elevator in it. He got inside of the elevator and brought it up four stories high. And as he stood in the elevator that had his emergency brake in it, he called out to the person at the top who had an axe. And he said, cut the rope. the person at the top, that's got to be a weird job to get signed up for. Like, are you sure? Like, are you really, really sure? You're four stories high. But Elisha called out, cut the rope. The rope was cut. The elevator fell a few feet. He called out, ladies and gentlemen, all is well, because the crowd gasped in fear. But he had so much trust and faith in what he had invented. He was willing to put himself on the line and just say, cut the rope, let it drop. I know that it's gonna be okay. And I feel like in faith so many times we say, Jesus, I trust you about this far. You can touch this part of my life, but you cannot touch this part of my life. I trust you enough With my salvation, but man, I I don't know. I don't know if I can trust you in my relationship this way. Like, I don't know if I can trust you with my finances. I don't know if I can trust you with my time. Like, you can have this part of my life, not this part. And I'm not going to take risks because I have you on a leash and we only go this far. Me, you, me and you, Jesus. And I think that if you get close enough to Him and you allow His power and His character to be on display in your life, eventually you're going to recognize that I can cut this rope. I can walk in faith. I know that it's gonna mean risks. I know that it's gonna mean difficulty. I'm okay with the difficulty because as I've seen the character of Christ, I know that he's worth it. I know every blessing that comes along with him is worth it. But I know that there's a point in the life of every believer where they look and they say, okay, the crowd is going this way. The disciples are going this way. This way looks risky and difficult. This is what I've always known which way am I going to go? Am I going to cut the rope? Am I going to leave the shores? Am I going to step into the boat with him and sail into the storm? Which way am I going to go? And some of you guys need to make the decision. I'm, I'm cutting the rope. I'm leaving the shores as Elisha did in the Old Testament. I'm burning the plows and never looking back. There's no return. I'm in with you, God. There's a decision that you need to make in your life and only you can make it for yourself. God, I love you and I trust you enough to take risks. I trust you enough that in the midst of my difficulty and my stress and my fear, that I will cry out to you in an imperfect way because I know that you are perfect and that you meet the needs of your children. So church, I encourage you and I challenge you just even in this moment, in a, in, in a conversation between you and God in your heart, just tell him that you trust him with everything today. Tell him that where he calls you, you will go. And what he commands you, you will obey. Because you know that he is a perfect and loving father. Jesus, we trust you. And we are thankful.